sorry. Last night, I met with some of the survivors and the loved ones of the victims of the horrific mass shooting at Robb Elementary School. I came here to tell them that the United States Department of Justice has finished its critical incident review. In undertaking this review at the request of the then mayor, the Justice Department committed to using our expertise and independence to assess the law enforcement response to the shooting and to provide guidance moving forward. As I told families and survivors last night, the department's review concluded that a series of major failures, failures in leadership, in tactics, in communications, in training, and in preparedness, were made by law enforcement lawyers and others responding to the mass shooting at Robb Elementary. As a result, 33 students and three of their teachers, many of whom have been shot, were trapped in a room with an active shooter for over an hour as law enforcement officials remained outside. I also told the families and survivors how deeply sorry I am for the losses they suffered that day and for the losses they have suffered every day since. I told them that the priority for the Justice Department in preparing this report has been to honor the memories of those who were taken from them. And I told the families gathered last night what I hope is clear among the hundreds of pages and thousands of details in this report. Their loved ones deserve better. The law enforcement response at Robb Elementary School on May 24, 2022, and in the hours and days after, was a failure that should not have happened. We hope to... The Uvalde Mass Shooting Report. Uh, welcome to True Thursday here on the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live and the X Spaces Simulcast. Welcome to that audience, too. We look forward to your engagement. Well, the truth is hard to find these days. Reporting on gun violence in this country is some of the worst than on any other subject, folks. The media focuses on emotion and questionable statistics. The government focuses on its own priorities, and that can obfuscate the truth. The numbers being reported are often manipulated to fit a left-wing narrative of anti-Second Amendment ideology. The American people, and especially survivors of, of the victims of mass shootings, deserve the truth unmolested by political and ideological talking points. Finding the truth is the only way effective approaches to ending these crimes can be developed. And up to this point, only falsehoods that lead to ineffective policy proposals seem to get any attention by the media and hence by the American public, or at least large portions of us. Without the fact-based truth, sound and effective policies will never be developed or implemented. Well, my guest today is Dr. John Lott, Jr., an economist and a world-recognized expert on guns and crime. During the Trump administration, he served as the senior advisor for research and statistics in the Office of Justice Programs and then the Office of Legal Policy in the U.S. Department of Justice. Mr. Lott has held research or teaching positions at various academic institutions and his recent article, The Truth About Mass Shootings, shines a bright light on this subject. Dr. Lott, welcome to The Rob Mayne Show, sir. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, you know, in that in that clip uh, that we used for opening was uh, Attorney General Garland talking about the government's Uvalde report that came out. And the things that I noticed was just in watching a little bit of it and skimming through the report, lots of uh, reliance on emotion. Uh, they seem to want to push their own uh, perspective instead of uh, and, and kind of skim over the shooters actions and and more importantly the solutions or proposals of what may be able to solve that particular criminal's problem before he becomes a mass shooter uh and, and focused on the police response which was which was really atrocious i mean the, the report is right but what gets me is all of these these uh near truths falsehoods relying on emotion relying on statistics that are being manipulated uh, and I wanted to get your help today, walking us through this, and uh, we'll use a, a couple more clips to to hit on those ideas too throughout the show. But uh, first question, though, John, is uh, 
Why does America need a crime prevention research center, which you founded and you're the head of it? Right. Well, I mean, as you were saying, there's a lot of misinformation, both both by the government produces a lot of misinformation in the media. Uh, And so we're basically a group of academics, people who have done a lot of research on crime type issues over the years. We know where the data is and we try to put together uh, accurate data on these issues. It's the only way people can be well informed about it. But, you know, the federal government, the Department of Justice's Uvalde report, really doesn't have anything new as far as the policing actions that wasn't already in the state of Texas report that was released about uh, seven, eight months ago. Um, uh, You know, they have 500 and some pages. They make a lot of comments about assault weapons and things like that in there. But, you know, it's basically a launching pad for uh, uh, President Biden to put out his proposed solutions to these things. And, uh, you know, I want to do something, but I want to do something that works. So, for example, uh, his first solution uh, is uh, background checks on the private transfers of guns. Well, would it have stopped the Uvalde attack? No. Would it have stopped any mass public shooting this century? No. Uh, but yet, uh, that's something that uh, Obama and now Biden keep on pushing all the time uh, as the solution to this. You'd think somebody in the media would ask them, okay, is there one of these attacks that it would have solved? And unfortunately, the answer is no. So, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, the second thing that they bring up are these red flag laws, uh, that people who are dangerous to themselves or others, you need to be able to go and take away their guns. You know, the problem with that is, uh, you know, kind of gets to your other question, and that is there's just a huge amount of misinformation about what these laws do and what laws we already have on the books. Every state for 50 years or more has had what's called civil commitment type laws, where if you believe somebody's a danger to themselves or others, you call the police, police will come by. If the police believe that there's, quote, a reasonable chance, which is like about 20% probability that the person is in fact a danger to themselves or others, they will take them in for a mental health care evaluation where mental health care experts will look at the person. And if the mental health care experts concur that there's a, quote, reasonable chance that the person is, in fact, a danger to themselves or others. There can be an immediate uh, court hearing where if you can't afford a lawyer, one will be provided for you. Evidence will be presented. Expert, mental health care experts, others will testify. They can be cross-examined. And then if the judge thinks, uh, it depends on the state, but if the judge thinks that the preponderance of the evidence if that is that the person is in fact a danger to themselves or others. The judge has a wide range of options. The judge uh, can go and say, look, I'm concerned. Uh, if you go and see a mental health care professional, we'll have another hearing in a week or two and reevaluate the situation. Uh, the judge can take away the person's driver's license if he thinks they're gonna drive a car through a crowd of people or he can take away their guns. Or in the most extreme case, he can involuntarily commit the person. The red flag laws, all that happens there is it takes away a lot of the protections. Uh, the only thing that the judge sees is a written complaint. He doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't talk to the person the complaint is made about, doesn't talk to the people who made the complaint. Uh, and based solely on reading the written complaint, uh, he makes a decision whether or not to take away a person's guns. And then at some later date, maybe up to a month afterwards, uh, there can be a court hearing. But you aren't provided a lawyer if you can't afford it. You talk to lawyers involved in these cases, you're talking about something like $10,000 or so for a hearing. And the only thing that happens to you in that case is your gun is taken away from you. Well, you know, I may want to keep my guns, but is it really worth $10,000 to me uh, to be able to make sure my guns aren't temporarily taken away? And the vast majority of people don't hire a lawyer and uh, because it's just not worth $10,000 to them. So anyway, I could go on, but the point is, is that there's a lot of misinformation there about what these laws do. You'll see surveys that say, do you think uh, judges should have the option to temporarily take away guns from people who are a danger themselves or others? And 
vast majority of people say yes, but that's mm-hmm. already the law. That you know, is. they don't say, they don't say, you know, and they say, well, this shows that most people support red flag laws, but it's just a lot of misinformation there. Absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of those laws get passed on emotion right after an event, John, and, and, uh, and, and Republican lawmakers and governors uh, up and down the the uh, chain of uh, political uh, entities from the local to the state level and federal level all uh, tend to jump on board. A lot of them do. I mean, I think even Ron DeSantis uh, supports a red flag law that he's got in uh, no. uh, in Florida, no. doesn't he? No. Or did he, did he come out against that? He's against that. He wants it changed. Uh, oh, that was good. passed under under Rick Scott, uh, who yeah. was governor before uh, DeSantis. Uh, but uh, now DeSantis is uh, is uh, well educated and understands these issues probably better than almost any other politician in the country. Well, hopefully he'll use his powers as governor to get that law changed. Then, uh, well, he's working on that. that. I mean, this last year uh, he got constitutional carry through. That was the big thing that he was trying to push. Uh, so, I mean, there's only so many big bills that you can get through in, in any given uh, legislative session. And uh, uh, prior to that, uh, the Republican leader in the Senate was somebody who'd gotten like a half million dollars from uh, uh, Bloomberg um, and uh, also had been instrumental in getting a lot of the original, the red flag law and other laws passed. And so he was, he was blocking any change and it was only after uh, he was replaced, uh, and um, uh, DeSantis was able to get a supermajority in the state House and Senate that he was able to get constitutional carry through and, and begin to uh, work on some of these other types of laws. He's also pushed hard for getting rid of uh, gun-free zones. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I look at this. If you, if you want to stop school shootings like Uvalde, uh, there's one policy that seems to work extremely well, and that is uh, allowing teachers and staff to carry. You have 20 states that have teachers and staff carrying. Uh, you know, yep. it varies on the number of schools in those different states that allow it. If you're in Utah or in uh, New Hampshire, any teacher with a concealed carry permit can carry. In other states like Texas and Oklahoma, you may have about 40% of the school districts uh, that allow teachers and staff to carry. So you literally have many thousands of schools across the country that have teachers and staff carrying, uh, and some for more than a decade or more. Uh, And yet, of all the attacks since 2000, where anybody's been wounded or killed, every single school attack has occurred in places where teachers and staff are banned from being able to go and carry. Uh, one thing I, I disagree with a number of conservatives on is they want to go and have one uniform police officer in, uh, in each school. And, you know, my response is, do you think air marshals should be in uniform? Do you think that would be a smart thing to have air marshals in uniform? Yeah. And the answer is no, because if you put the air marshal in uniform, then if you do happen to have a terrorist on the plane, they know the one person on the plane that's going to be able to go and stop them. So he would be the first person they would take out first. If you have one uniformed police officer in a school, uh, you give huge tactical advantages to the attackers there. They can either yeah. uh, wait for the officer to leave the area before they attack, or they can move on. You know, if it's a big school with lots of different buildings, they can move on to another target themselves. Or uh, if they're going to attack a particular place, uh, they know they'll take the officer first. It's kind of like having the guy with a neon sign above them that says, shoot me first, because they know if they kill that officer, uh, they're going to have free reign to go after other people that are there. And, yeah. you know, the advantage of having uh, a teacher carrying concealed is uh, you even make the officer, if you're going to have an officer there safer, because if the attacker goes after the officer, he has to realize that there's somebody behind him or to the side, somebody who he's not going to be able to go and identify beforehand, uh, who he has to worry about, may be able to go and take him out at that point. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got to take a break, John. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I want to get your thoughts, uh, because I know you guys have done some research on why these school shootings and other public mass shootings get so much attention when the, the Chicago shootings uh, that uh, create much larger numbers, uh, very, very little national media. And uh, we'll go to our X Spaces audience, too, right after this break. I'm Rob Manis, Patriot.tv. It's Truth Thursday with Dr. John Lott. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD. We met with the local funeral director and countless morticians who who hadn't slept since the massacre the day before, because they'd been working 24-7 trying to handle so many bodies at once, so many little innocent bodies who had their entire lives still yet to live. Maite wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green Converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green Converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that? Mm. Look, is this cure-all? Hell no. The people are hurting. Families are, parents are. And look, as, as, as divided as our country is, this gun responsibility issue is one that we agree on more than we don't. It really is. Look, this should be a, a nonpartisan issue. This should not be a partisan issue. There is not a Democratic or Republican value in one single act of these shooters. It's not. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live with our X Spaces uh, live audience. And we're talking with Dr. John Lott today, uh, uh, a gun rights uh, expert and an expert on the media no, coverage of this stuff. And, and uh, yeah, you know, not, that, that... Go no, ahead, I'm a, John. I'm a researcher. I'm not a gun rights expert or anything. I uh, Basically, I do research. I've been an academic most of my life. As you said before, I was senior advisor for research and statistics in the Department of Justice. Uh, usually, uh, you know, people on the left want to label you as a, you know, gun rights person. I never make Second Amendment type arguments. That's not the type of thing that I do. My thing is to try to figure out what saves lives. But when you use terms like gun rights out there, it, it kind of makes it so that others stop listening to you uh, because they think you're biased in some way. But you can look through my writings. I, I don't make Second Amendment arguments. To me, the bottom line is trying to figure out what saves the most lives. You know, and you listen to something like uh, 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 the person that you just had on, the actor there. And, uh, you know, anybody's heartstrings are tugged by those types of things that happen. Everybody wants to stop it, but the question is, I want to do something that works, you know, as we were talking about before with the types of proposals that Biden puts forward, like background checks on the private transfers of guns. I wish I wish somebody would go and ask uh, the president or go and ask his spokespeople, well, you, this is what you're proposing. Would it have stopped the Uvalde shooting? You're bringing this up as a solution for this. Would it have stopped it? And the answer is no. Would it have stopped any mass public shooting this century? And the answer is no. Yet, why do you push this as your number one solution for these attacks? 
It makes it makes no sense. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that the reason why they push yeah. it has nothing to do with stopping these attacks per se. It has to do with other things. They want to create this national gun registry that they have. Uh, about two years ago, it was discovered that mm -hmm. the Biden administration yeah. had put together a computerized database of almost one billion transactions involving guns. But the transactions that they have don't get everything, don't get you know, you giving your son or your nephew a gun or something like that. Uh, and so they want to be able to have a complete database on, on everybody there. And so that's the reason why they're pushing to end all private transfers of guns that don't go through uh, a licensed firearms dealer. Uh, yeah, the really, the really uh, devastating thing about that clip by McConaughey, he's standing in the White House press room. So he's got the platform and it's pure emotion. You know, so those those but, methodologies don't come up with solutions that, that work. Like you said, I've talked to I'm blue in the face about eliminating uh, uh, gun free zones in schools and allowing any concealed carry permit holder under the laws of that location uh, to be able to carry in a school. I was a parent with a kid in a public school. I wanted to be able to carry, uh, but I couldn't do it. But that's a solution that will work. Some of these folks don't even want to. Uh, beef up security and put security doors on the the uh, at the end of the hallways that open to the outside of the school uh, uh, because they say it, it's a fire hazard, you know. And, and like you said, talked about before, you know, well, they want to put a uniform police officer in there. The, uh, I'm not opposed to that, but uh, that can't be the solution because it won't work, like you said, uh, you know. If you're gonna, uh, if you're how gonna do we address how, how do we address? My, my question is, John. How do we address uh, this this momentum that gets built on mass shootings at a school, so to speak, but the larger number of kids being killed, especially, is in places oh. like Chicago or New Orleans and gang violence? Sure. Look, uh, you know, emotions carry the day a lot on these types of things. It's the reason why they mm -hmm. do it. The point that has to be made is that the emotion is just as strong on both sides. Um, but, you know, I think there's, the media's had a huge role in terms of the debate here. I'll just give you one example, and that is anybody who reads the diaries and manifestos from these mass murders knows, and I force myself to read these things, and we have detailed information on our website at crimeresearch.org about this. Uh, is that time after time, these mass murderers will explain why they picked the targets that they did. Uh, you take something like the Covenant school shooter last year in Nashville. Uh, the Biden administration has held on to the uh, diary, so only a few pages have leaked out. But the Nashville police chief, the day of the attack, said he had read it and said that the murderer there actually had another target that they had originally decided to go after, uh, the Greenfield Mall there, but had decided not to do that because there were armed people there and they were worried that they would stop them. So they went after the school because they thought it would be an easier target. Um, you see the same thing with the Buffalo mass murder the year before. Uh, he has a long discussion about why he picked the target. Uh, again, he wanted to go to a place where he didn't believe anybody would be able to be armed to stop him. Uh, but the media just refuses, just refuses to go and cover those discussions there. You will not find any national news coverage of the uh, Nashville police chief mentioning why uh, the person, the murderer there, uh, didn't go after what had been their original target. Um, and. Uh, uh, you know, these guys may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal, anybody who reads the diaries and manifestos knows that their goal overwhelmingly is to commit suicide, but to do so in a way that will get the media attention. Time after time, you'll see them say things, if I can only kill more people than such and such did, I can get even more media attention. Or they'll say things like, at least my name will be in the history books. And, and so they know the more people they kill, the more media attention that they're going to be able to go and get. And so they go to a place where they know their victims can't defend themselves. Uh, and they explicitly talk about it. You would, I want somebody, I want somebody to provide for me a benign explanation for why the media just time after time refuses to cover those parts of their manifestos. 
the media covers their manifestos often in a very biased way in other aspects of it. Yeah, uh, but very but why why isn't it newsworthy for them to once in a while, even once in a while, go and say this person picked this target because they wanted to go to a place where they knew the victims weren't going to be able to go and defend themselves? Why why isn't that newsworthy? I want somebody to explain that to me because they just refuse. My guess is the entire gun control debate that we have right now would be dramatically different if yep. the media would once in a while mention that these attacks are occurring time after time in places where guns are banned. It would be dramatically different if once in a while the media would go and say, not only do they occur and guns are banned, but these guys are saying they explicitly picked a target yep. where they knew their victims weren't going to have guns. You know, you take something like the Nashville Covenant School shooting. In Tennessee, uh, if you violate uh, these school gun-free zones, it's up to a six years in prison. For you yeah. and I, you wanting to carry a gun uh, when your child went to school. If, if you violated that and you faced six years in prison, your life would be completely changed. That would be a massive penalty for you. It would make a huge difference in your life. But let's say That's you're cool. the murderer. And the, the murderer, and let's say the murderer had lived and was going to face six life sentences or six death penalties plus some other charges that were there. Do you really think an additional six years is going to matter? Do you think, okay, you know, the murderer can live with six life sentences, but you take six years away from the seventh life for that murderer, then that, that'll just be too much. You know, yeah, it's you crazy, start taking yeah. away uh, time from the, from the seventh let's go over lifetime. This. Let's Let's go over to the Spaces live audience and take a question from there. We've got a hand up. Uh, go ahead, Kat. Go ahead, Doc. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for the question. Um, sir, as a, as a researcher and an academic, um, I know data points are probably something that's pretty important to you. Um, and there's there's got to be a lot of correlation between these mass shooters that we're not really talking about, whether it's lack of, lack of masculinity, like a father figure, um, psychotropic drugs. Uh, is there anything specifically that you see that stands out among all these shooters uh, as as a correlation? Great question. Well, uh, I think it's just you have people who are suicidal, overwhelmingly, uh, and uh, they feel unappreciated, and they want. Uh, I mean, people have always wanted to commit suicide, uh, but you find that someplace along the line, uh, 30, 40 years ago, people discovered that if they uh, commit suicide in this way, they can get uh, attention. As I was saying earlier, you have people who say, well, uh, you know, at least my name will be in the history book, or at least I'll get, if I kill more people than such and such did, I'll get even more media attention. So you want people, you have people who feel unappreciated, you know, the girls won't go out with them on dates, or women won't, and uh, and they want people to know that they were here, that they meant something, and and by killing lots of people, they can do that. You see something like the Sandy Hook uh, mass murderer. Uh, he had, uh, according to police, uh, done what was the equivalent of a doctoral dissertation, where he had looked at mass uh, public shootings over the previous 40 years and graphed out the relationship between the number of people killed and the amount of media coverage that they got in order to prove to himself if he could go and kill more people, he could go and get more media coverage. His goal uh, was to go and kill more people than the Norway killer had killed in 2011. He murdered with guns. Uh, there was other deaths that he caused, but just with guns, 67 people. And he wanted to kill more people than the Norway killer who's killed had a larger mass public shooting than anybody in the United States. Um, and because uh, he wanted to get even more international uh, media coverage than the Norway killer had gotten. And you see that type of discussion time after time. The stuff about drugs, I don't really think explains it. Um, you know, we don't know how many people were taking these drugs. We know about half these people were seeing mental health care professionals prior to their attacks. Uh, mm -hmm. But the thing is, the issue with the drugs in terms of some type of psychiatric break really only occurs when you have changes in the level of drugs that they're given. And those are usually relatively short-run 
type things that may be, you know, within a couple weeks or whatever of the change in the dosage that they're getting. And the problem is, is that these guys are planning these attacks six months, a year, two years. The, the Sandy Hook killer was planning it two and a half years in advance. So I don't really think that, that that can explain it. A number of these guys, all this data, you know, uh, that we're talking about is available on our website at crimeresearch.org. Uh, we have very detailed data on fatherlessness and all sorts of other things, whether they served in the military, basically anything you want to know, how they obtained their guns and everything else. Uh, the race of the victims, the race of the murderer that's there, whether they were racist, whatever. We have detailed information on all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, I think the basic thing, look, well over 70% of these mass murderers have no political views. They're just purely people who want to go and commit suicide. Uh, even a lot of the people that have some type of political view, one type or another, just want to commit suicide. And, uh, uh, and, so, and they want to do so in a way that's going to get them attention, either for themselves or for some cause that they have. And so uh, that's what you have to deal with. You have to take away their goal, and their goal is to get media attention. So you don't yeah. need to get rid of the First Amendment. You don't need to rewrite the First Amendment. What, what you can do is... You need to uh, make it so that they're, they believe they're not going to kill that many people. So rather than having a sign in front of a school or some other place that says this place is a gun-free zone, consider having signs, even if you don't even have armed people there, consider yeah. having signs that say, warning, select teachers yeah. and staff at this school are armed and will use their concealed so they can't identify who it is that they have to worry about and will use their guns to protect the students and others. Exactly. Yeah, that's, great. Uh, that's a great uh, idea. I, I know schools that have done that, even without armed people, John. Uh, well, we're talking with uh, Dr. John Lott, the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, about uh, gun violence. When we come back, we'll take a dive into the numbers and, uh, and John's research that shows how the numbers get manipulated uh, by the media and the politicians to drive toward policies that just don't work and to avoid policies that will. I'm Rob Manus. We'll be right back after these messages. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Well, this deadly rampage is the 27th school shooting to happen so far this year. It is part of a troubling rise in active shooting incidents in the United States. NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delanian joins us now. Good morning to you, Ken. The FBI data shows active shooter incidents have surged to new highs in these recent years. How does this latest school shooting compare with what we have been seeing? Good morning, Vicki. Yeah, this has been getting a lot of attention. These numbers just happened to be released a few days ago. And what they show is that there were 61, according to the FBI, active shooter incidents last year. And that's up from 40 the year before and 30 the year before that. So they've roughly doubled these things over the last two years. And just to be clear, the FBI counts active shooter incidents as these sort of random incidents where people are trying to kill other human beings in, in public not including gang violence, drug violence, other sort of kinds of murders, just these kinds of incidents that we've witnessed in, in the last couple of weeks. They're on the rise. Researchers are not exactly sure about why. The pandemic may have played a role. There's certainly a copycat factor, but 
whatever the reason, it's a really, really disturbing trend, Vicki. Truly, Ken. Well, this shooting also is shining a light on the worrying rise in child deaths caused directly by guns. So talk to us about what the data shows in terms of gun violence as a cause of death for kids. This is really eye-opening. The, the data is a little old on this, but in 2020, for the first time, uh, more children were killed by gun violence than in car accidents. For years, car accidents were the leading cause of death for children, which makes sense. Uh, it, in 2020, that changed. And the numbers are shocking. It, of around 45,000 people killed by guns every year, or, or in 2020, about 4,300 of them were children. And that's obviously not just mass shootings, that's accidents, that's murders, that's all sorts of gun deaths, but a, a, just an astounding number that most Americans probably don't think about on a daily basis, but there it is. Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show Live. It's Truth Thursday, and we're talking with the president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center, Dr. John Lott Jr., uh, about uh, these issues. And, and John, I call that clip the, the conflation clip uh, because it conflated at least three different issues together and tied them all to the Uvalde shooting, which was a mass public shooting uh, event. Uh, uh, but almost all of the things that they were talking about were really not mass public shooting events in that clip, were they? No. Well, look, uh, a mass public shooting is uh, four more people killed in a public place, not involving some other type of crime like a gang fight over drug turf or robbery. Uh, the active shooting data, uh, where they were talking about 61 cases from the FBI, uh, those are similar, but it's like any time a gun is fired in public, not you know trying to harm somebody else, anything from a shot fired and missed, uh, all the way up to a mass public shooting. Uh, vast majority of those cases are, you know, one person wounded or whatever uh, that's there. And obviously that's something that's uh, concerning. But, uh, uh, you know, you, if you look at mass public shootings, and, and the active shootings also exclude robberies or gang fights over drug turf, uh, and also have public place, the differences in the number of people uh, uh, hurt uh, there. But, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you look at uh, mass public shootings, since 1998, there's between one and eight of those a year. Uh, the average is uh, something over three uh, a year. So, you know, are these horrible situations? Yeah, but they're a lot rarer than most people would think. When you're talking about the 27 school shootings that were occurring, that's a completely different animal there. Uh, that's from data from places like the Gun Violence Archive, which is a gun control group, and they define it yet differently. They look at three or more people injured and or killed. So injured doesn't even necessarily mean shot. So you may have a gun uh, fired, uh, and, and they include cases that are in public or not in public. They include, mo the vast majority of their cases are like gang fights over drug turf, like maybe 80% of their cases are that. Most of the rest are things like robberies that occur. So you may have a gang fight at 2 a.m. Uh, in a school parking lot, uh, and that's classified as a school shooting. Um, and, uh, you know, are those bad? Yeah, sure. Gang fights over drug turf bad? Yeah, sure. Nobody wants to have anybody get injured or killed or wounded or anything else right. uh, from any type of attack. But what I would argue is that the causes and solutions for trying to stop drug gangs fighting against each other over drug turf are dramatically different than... Uh, uh, than you're going to have for these other types of mass public shootings that we're talking about. And, you know, one question you asked from the beginning, you've asked at least one other time, and that is, you know, compare the news coverage for the attacks in Chicago versus these other types of yeah. cases. And there's a big difference. I mean, Chicago, you may hear, well, there are 28 shootings in Chicago over the weekend. But you don't hear about the coverage of the individual cases that are there. And the reason why you don't hear about them is because they're overwhelmingly, almost all, uh, drug gangs fighting against each other over drug turf. And while, again, you know, you don't like stories where people get killed, uh, even if they're drug gang members, 
having drug gang members shoot it out uh, against each other just doesn't have the emotional connection with people as somebody going into a mall or a restaurant or a school or a movie theater with the sole desire to go and shoot and kill. Just, you know, you, hello. So you don't, uh, uh, you know, so it's pretty understandable the difference between those types of cases that are there yeah. and uh and yet uh you know uh you know so what you often have happen is what we just saw in this news report they'll say they'll talk about uvalde and then they'll say and we've had 550 uh, uh mass shootings over the course of the last year uh biden does that regularly uh the problem is is that the data that he has is this measure from the gun violence archive, and it's kind of really comparing apples and oranges. Uh, you know, again, you know, you have three people wound, you know, injured uh, in a gang fight. Uh, you know, and that's very different than having, uh, you know, 21 people murdered in Uvalde, or you had uh, 18 people killed recently in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, you know, at the bar there. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got some hands up in the live audience. Let's uh, take a question from over there, uh, Dr. Lott, uh, before we go to the break. Go ahead, uh, Kat, show. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take privileges since I'm, I'm hosting it. Um, I'm, I'm a colossally tired of Democrats like Hakeem Jeffries, who constantly gaslights the American people over stats on gun violence with kids. Um, there, there, he's, I've dug into his numbers many times and I swear I'm going to get to a question, but he includes gun, uh, the stats for accidental suicide, 18 and 19 year olds, but he lumps them into children, the children's statistics to try to make it an inflated number 100%. And I know it's, and it's, it's in an effort to, to pass more gun legislation as we all probably know here. Um, what I'm asking is, is why don't more organizations call out these politicians when they're giving these conflated and exaggerated numbers? Because his numbers are outrageously higher than the true number of true deaths for 17 and under is what I consider a child. Um, and he's, like I said, he's including a lot of numbers. So why, why aren't more organizations like yourselves calling these guys out? Or maybe I'm missing it and you are. I'm just, I'm just asking because it's ridiculous. Well, we've written many things on this. Uh, there are many other problems that I think are even much more significant than what you're talking about. I'll give you an example uh, that we've written about many times. Uh, most people think homicides and murders are the same, and they're not. The numbers that they're using to go and show that there are more deaths uh, involving guns for those under age 20 uh, than from car accidents. Uh, and, and it's not all car, car accidents. They're, they're only including certain t traffic car accidents. But, um, you know, the difference between homicides and murders is homicides are murders plus justifiable homicides. And it's not really obvious to me why you want to conflate or say that, uh, you know, a gang member trying to rob somebody and murders them uh, is the same as a woman uh, who shoots a serial rapist who breaks into her home at 2 a.m. in the morning, or a police officer uh, that has to shoot somebody uh, who's threatening to kill somebody. Uh, those are very different cases, and I wouldn't lump those two together. You were, if you look at murders rather than homicides, uh, that uh, changes the calculation there. But there's even more important information and the more important issues that are there. So, for example, they add homicides, suicides, and accidental gun deaths together. You know, the assumption is if you just get rid of the guns, uh, gun suicides will disappear and suicides will fall. And that's simply not the case. Every place in the world that's banned either all guns or all handguns, that we have data, suicide data, both before and after the ban goes into effect, you'll see a drop in firearms but total suicides remain unchanged. And it seems to me what you care about is what happens to the total number of suicides, not what happens to the total number of firearm suicides. If people simply switch to some other way to go and commit suicide, 
it really doesn't help you very much. And as far as murders go, uh, every single place in the world that's either tried to ban all guns or all handguns has seen total murders increase after those bans have gone into place, and often by very large amounts. I mean, people in the United States have seen what happened in Chicago and Washington, D.C. They saw the big increases in murders and violent crime after those handgun bans went into effect in those places. Gun control advocates will say, well, that really wasn't a fair experiment uh, because unless you go and you ban guns every place, people could still get guns from the rest of Illinois or Indiana or from Maryland or Virginia. But the problem is that may explain why it didn't fall like they were predicting, but it doesn't explain the big increase. People could get guns from those places to begin with. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, so they said, well, you got to ban guns every place in the country. Well, there's countries around the world that have banned guns every place uh, in a country. You even have island nations that have banned guns. And yet every, every single time that you've had a gun ban, total murders have increased. And there's a simple reason for that, and that is when you ban guns, you have to ask who are the people who are most likely to obey the law. And if it's basically the most law-abiding good citizens who obey the ban, not the criminals, uh, even if you take a few guns away from the criminals, if you're primarily disarming the law-abiding victims there, you actually make it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. And you often see three-fold, even seven-fold increases in murder rates occurring after gun bans have gone into effect. And, uh, uh, you know, go ahead. The good but, guys I mean, uh, lose their guns. They're no longer around to do anything uh, in numbers enough to have a positive effect. Well, we've got to take our last break, John. When we come back, we'll hear a short clip from the worst offender of using bad numbers to push his political ideology against the firearm that the numbers just don't support would have a positive impact on saving more lives. I'm Rob Manis on Patriot.TV Live. We're talking with Dr. John Lott, Jr., the president of Crime Prevention Research Center. We'll be right back. What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free. Activation is free. Shipping is free. And no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by. I realize this is a really tough day for all the families. Remembering is important, but it's also painful. One year ago today, Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, turned into another killing field in America. A few days later, Jill and I traveled there and stood before those 21 crosses outside the school. On each cross, a name, like in these candles behind us, 19 children, 9, 10, 11 years old, and two devoted educators, and 17 more injured. Standing there in Uvalde, Jill and I couldn't help but think that too many schools, too many everyday places have become killing fields in communities all across every part of America. And in each place, we hear the same message, do something. For God's sake, please do something. We did something afterwards, but not nearly enough. We still need to ban, in my view, AR-15 firearms and assault weapons once again. You know, they've been used time and again in mass killings of innocent children and people. 
We need to ban high-capacity magazines, the ability to shoot 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 bullets without reloading. Because today, guns remain the number one killer, the number one killer of children in America, guns. And over the last year since Uvalde, our country has experienced a staggering 650 mass shootings. How many? Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show on Patriot.tv Live. It's Truth Thursday. We're talking with the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, Dr. John Lott Jr., uh, who studies and researches these gun violence numbers uh, uh, and uh, puts out uh, proposals, uh, research papers that, that tell the truth and the facts. And none of what that guy just said, Joe Biden there, uh, was really based on fact, uh, John. I mean, it, it's incredible uh, that uh, 650, and, and to hear him tell it, white supremacists are carrying AR-15s around the country and have shot 650 kids, the way he puts that, and the way the media really allows the narrative to be built over time. Uh, and as we've been talking in the show, that doesn't help find a solution to save lives. Right. Well, I mean, there are lots of false claims that are there about, uh, you know, we've already gone through these things like the gun violence archive numbers. Uh, they're really comparing apples and oranges. His discussion about children dying, uh, we've gone through that uh, discussion. You know, his discussion about uh, AR-15s and assault weapons. If you look at all the mass public shootings in the United States from 1998 on, uh, you're talking about uh, 16.9 percent of them involve only a rifle of any type. Uh, you know, so, you know, and it's not even the most deadly ones. The most deadly attacks aren't the ones that use rifles, aren't the ones that use so-called assault weapons. The most deadly attacks are the ones that use multiple different types of guns. You know, people go in with a handgun and a rifle and maybe a shotgun. Uh, and you know, so. You know, again, I don't know what to do about this stuff. I mean, we constantly put out this stuff. People can find all the information we've been talking about on our website at crimeresearch.org. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wish there was some way to kind of break through and kind of deal with the media on this stuff, but we haven't, you know, it's the media you know, works hand in glove with groups like the Gun Violence Archive. You go and do a Google News search on Gun Violence Archive and top media all the time are using them as a source. But just give you a little bit of background on the Gun Violence Archive, about a year and a half ago, uh, through a Freedom Information Act request, it became public that the Gun Violence Archive had been lobbying uh, the Centers for Disease Control to remove data on the rate of defensive gun uses from their website and the Gun Violence Archive gave as an explanation for why that needed to be removed. Uh, they argued that uh, the Centers for Disease Control having that data up there made it more difficult for the Gun Violence Archive and other gun control groups to go and, and get past the different types of gun control laws that they want to get past. You know, the notion that you would go to a scientific organization, uh, at least one that claims to be a scientific organization like the Centers for Disease Control, and go and argue whether they should put out information uh, should depend on whether it makes it easier or harder to go and pass particular types of gun control laws that people want. This seems inappropriate for the Centers for Disease Control to consider that, and it seems inappropriate for anybody to make those types of arguments to the Centers for Disease Control. But I mean, I suppose it's not too surprising. I mean, after all, it became public that the Centers for Disease Control uh, was uh, you know letting the teachers unions go and uh, help determine their policies with regard to uh, whether schools would remain closed or not during COVID. Uh, obviously, politics were involved with that too. But I mean, the Biden administration was instrumental in getting the CDC to talk to the gun violence archive. So, you know, uh, the gun violence archive wants to go and argue that. Uh, the only way to really measure the number of defensive gun uses in the country is by looking at news stories. They think that, you know, the 2,500 news stories that you'll see across the country uh, in any given year represents all the defensive gun uses. I mean, it's just a joke. 
Um, I mean, uh, uh, you you only have about 23% of violent crimes are reported to police. Uh, what right. percent of even that 23% do you think get reported by the media? It's just a tiny, tiny fraction. I mean, uh, even if they wanted to devote whole newspapers to just crime stories, there's no way they could cover you, any more than a fraction of that 23%. Mm -hmm. But I'll give you That's another right. example, and that is something that we've gone through in detail uh, in past reports. If you look at the defensive gun use stories in the media, we did a deep dive in 2001, over half of their stories involved instances where the defensive gun use resulted in the death of the attacker. 42% uh, of uh, the defensive gun use stories involved instances when the attacker was wounded. And only 4% of the defensive gun use stories involve instances where the attacker was held at gunpoint until the police were able to arrive. Um, uh, were simple brandishing, I'm sorry. And half of those were right. the criminal was held at gunpoint. Now, the best evidence that we have indicates that it's not 4% of defensive gun uses involve brandishing, but like 95% of defensive gun uses involve brandishing. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, uh, you know, so you can just see right there uh, the huge percent that's missing. And I can understand why the media doesn't cover brandishing. I mean, you have two stories that come across an editor's desk. In one case, there's a dead body on the ground. In another case, let's say a woman's brandished a gun, the would-be criminals run away, no shots are fired, no dead body on the ground, uh, no crime actually committed. You're not e even, maybe more importantly, you're not even sure what crime would have been committed. Uh, which story would you pick if you're an editor? I know I would pick the dead body on the ground more than I'd pick the case where you're not even sure what crime would have been committed. Uh, and That's and right. yet, you know, so you have a huge percentage of defensive gun use cases that would never get considered newsworthy. Uh, but yet, you know, places like the Gun Violence Archive wants to go and argue that uh, just looking at news coverage uh, will get you all the defensive gun use stories that occur. Yeah, the news coverage is just so reliable these days, John. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I hope that someday there will be a politician education uh, course online or something. Maybe there is that, that will educate them on the great research and the facts that you all have, you compile at your website. Uh, uh, I've been to it before, even the show before, because I'm, I've been aware of your work and everything uh, and use it myself. Uh, uh, but you would think they would do that. Uh, where Where is your website one more time before we let you go and close out the show? It's at crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. But people can sign up for our email blasts once every two weeks. We send out an email with the various research that we've done with some commentary that's not on the website. Um, and so, you know, it's probably the best way to kind of keep up with everything. We send that out on Saturday mornings once every two weeks. But they can Fantastic. sign up for it at crimeresearch.org. Roger that. Uh, crimeresearch.org. Uh, Dr. John Lott, the uh, president of the Crime Research Center and the founder of that. Uh, well, that's it for today on Truth Thursday. We'll see you Monday on More War Mondays. We'll have guest retired Marine Corps Colonel Gannon Burton from Mississippi, my home state, who's running for U.S. Senate against an establishment politician that loves to spend your money on places like Ukraine and not on your southern border quite as much. So it should be an interesting conversation getting his views uh, about all the war policy and spending that's going on out there. Until then, I'm Rob Manus at Patriot.TV Live. We'll see you soon.